the True Sports Physical Therapy Podcast. Really happy to welcome the Gavin Sheets. Excited to learn about what it's like to be a big leaguer, what it's like to train as a big leaguer. Right before we get rolling, introduce yourself to this massive audience of sports PTs. Uh, I'm Gavin Sheets uh, from Baltimore, Maryland. Played baseball at Gilman, then went to Wake Forest, and now with the Chicago White Sox. Give me some specifics, Gavin, of what it is you think allowed you to reach this elite level of baseball. You know, for me, it was it was you know I grew up in a baseball family, obviously, with my dad playing um, playing in the big leagues with the Orioles and, and growing up around the game and. Um, but the biggest thing for me is I just had a love for the game. Um, I, I felt like, you know, I feel like kids nowadays are, are so under pressure to, to just be really, really good at a certain sport from such an early age. And I don't think they get that love for the game early anymore. Um, and, and for me, it was, I wasn't thinking about being a professional baseball player. I wasn't thinking about playing in college or, or making a living out of it. I was just, I just love the game. And I, I think when you have that as your foundation, I think it's a much easier way to be an athlete. And so for me, it was the love of the game. And then, um, you know, growing up around it, being with my dad, you know, working at it. And then as, as time went on, as I got, you know, recruited by colleges, um, went to college and then had a good, had a successful time in college and got drafted. Then, then you start to, you know, say, okay, this is something I can do professionally or, or, um, you know, this is, this is now a dream that I can pursue. But, you know, for me, it was, I just love the game. I love baseball. I love doing, it. I wanted to hit, I wanted to field, I wanted to just be playing it. And then from then on, it just, everything took care of itself. What do you love about that game? Just the grind of it. Um, you know, I love how tough it is, but I love the feeling of, of just connecting a home run. Connect, just it's doing something that is one of the hardest, if not the hardest things in any sport, which is, you know, hitting a baseball. Um, and the feeling of, of everything lining up and you doing it perfectly and, you know, hitting a double, hitting a big home run, hitting something like that's it there's nothing that can beat it and for me it's it's the grind it's it's the chess match um but that's that's what I love about it I, I just love how you know it's such a hard sport such a humbling sport um but when everything comes together there's there's no better feeling if you make your living playing a humbling sport mm -hmm. imagine if you weren't playing a humbling sport what would you be like <laughs> <laughs> intolerable <laughs> i don't know what i would do i i think the guys at my golf course would probably kick me out thank by the end god you play a humbling sport yeah for, for for everyone's for everyone's sake you you mentioned the grind and the challenge what do you think you do that makes you successful in your sport i think i embrace it you know i don't i don't try to fight it i don't try to you know failure is a part of the game failure is a part of any professional sport um and I think a lot of people are so afraid to fail that they don't allow themselves to, you know, put themselves in positions where they can fail. And I think that's the biggest thing for me. It's, you know, allowing myself to fail, allowing myself to, to try new things, to, you know, try new swing changes, try new workout facilities, try new just different training techniques um, and seeing what works for me. And I think that's what, you know, I think that's what got me to the big leagues. Um, I think that's what made a change in my career. What got you to the big leagues? Just changing, you know, being able to, to take a step back from the way I've always done things and make a change and make a change in my body, make a change in my training, um, because I think that everything goes hand in hand. You know, you need a you need a team in place um, to get you to the big leagues. OK, so let's dig into that. I met you what year? Probably 20 COVID year. COVID year 2020. Mm -hmm. Where were you in your uh, career at that point? So I just finished the double A season. Um, had a really good year, but you know, we had the way our team was made. Um, we just drafted first baseman third overall. We had an MVP at first base in the big leagues. Um, so we were, we were locked up in my position. Um, and I knew that and the COVID year as tough as it was, uh, as an athlete was a blessing in disguise for me. Um, you know, I wasn't invited. There was an alternate side. I wasn't invited to the alternate side. I wasn't invited to the the COVID spring training. Um, and obviously in the beginning it was frustrating and everything, but for me, I, that's, that's when that change happened. I changed cha training. I changed the way I approached things. Um, and I formed just one big team to, to build myself around and 
make myself the best athlete, best athlete as possible. Did you do that deliberately? You knew you were like, hey, I'm going to make a change, or you kind of just fell into it? I made it deliberately. Okay. Yeah. Um, you know, I asked around. First, it was like, you know, how do I get to the big leagues? What do I need to do differently to change my path? And for me, it was, you know, I needed to play the outfield. I needed to, to be able to, to get away from one position, um, open up, you know, left field, right field, first base, DH. You know, you open up four instead of two. And, um, but I know, I knew that to do that, I needed to change my training. I needed to change my body. I needed to change the way I moved. Um, because we're not talking about a double A outfielder. We're talking about a big league outfielder, you know, guys who had done it for 20 odd years. Um, so I knew that I had to get started quick and, and I had to uh, change what I was doing. And so, yeah, it was a deliberate choice. And I, I think that's worth highlighting because the more, and more interviews I do like this, and I talk to people at the top of their given profession, whatever profession it is, medicine, sports, uh, PT, it's the ability to take a step back to gauge where am I on this trajectory? Where do I want to go? Why maybe am I not there? What do I need to add? I think that's an unbelievably mature thing for you to do at age at that time, 2020, you are... I was 23 at that time. So it's pretty impressive um, that you're able to do that, take a step back and begin to change things. So, but again, applicable to whatever field you're in. Well, I think, you know, as an athlete, I think the number one thing you have to be your biggest fan and you have to be your biggest critic. I mean, if you can do that, if you can, if you can pump yourself up when you're down and if you can, you know, be your, look in the mirror and say, this is what you need to get better at, then there's nothing that anybody can tell you that'll bring you down or but like that, you know what you have to do. You shouldn't have to have you know, people pointing out your flaws and weaknesses, you should know them and you should be willing to work on them. Um, if you want to be the best you can be. Yeah. And, and so it was your idea to look towards outfield or the white Sox are like, Hey, here's your path. It was a little bit of both. You know, I, I knew I needed to make a change. So I, I called my agent right away and I said, this is what we need to do. This, this is how we're going to get to the big leagues. And he was all for it. And we had a long talk and we went to the white Sox and we said, you know, this is what we're thinking. What do you guys think? And they were all for it. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. So, Walk me through that. Uh, once you take that step back, how do you decide what you need to do to become an outfielder? So I, I knew the number one thing is I needed to move better. You know, I needed to move better. I needed to be more athletic. Um, first step quickness, overall quickness. Um, you know, I just looked around the league and said, this is what outfielders have that, you know, a first baseman doesn't necessarily have. And, you know, that was my first focus. Um, you know, I, I, I knew from a strength standpoint, I was, I was already strong enough um, to compete at the batter's box and have success there, but I needed to be able to move quicker, rotate faster, just everything. And so that was my main main goal and, and main um, objective first was to just become a better athlete. So you do what? So I, I put together, you know, I put together a team. And that's what I think um, was the biggest change in direction for my career was I put together a team of, of guys that were, one, committed to what my goal was but two they were you know elite in, the, in their profession you know I put Tim Bishop who used to be the strength and conditioning coach for the Orioles Courtney Green who runs an amazing fitness facility and and was a professional athlete himself and and you as well and you know it's instead of just putting together one or two guys it was a guy three guys that were the head of their profession in each one I'm thrilled to jump in here and <laughs> note that I was not on that list of professionals to put together. Courtney said, maybe you could talk to this yeah. guy to, to help. So let me ask you this, not why was I not on that list, but why was a PT not on that list? For me, I never, you know, when I think of PTs, I think of guys that, that heal people, right? So, you know, you're hurt, you go to a physical therapist. If you come in off surgery, you go to physical therapy. That's, that was always my perception. And, you know, now working with you, it's, it's about, you know, fixing your weaknesses. You know, it's, it's not about fixing, you know, your injuries. It's about fixing your weaknesses. How can I move better? How can I train better? How can, how can this help me train better, which will help me be a better baseball player? And for me, it was always, you just go to them when you're hurt. And so it never came to my mind. Thank um, God for Courtney Green. <laughs> brought it to your mind. Thank God for Courtney. How do we get athletes and organizations to realize we can do more than fix ACLs it there's got to be an open communication with the athletes you know here's here's what we can do for you here's how we can do it um you know it's it's not just 
the perception of, hey, you're broken, let's fix you. Because every athlete, no athlete wants to be told they're broken. No athlete wants to be told you have flaws. Um, but instead it's, you know, here's where you move in your swing and here's how we can help you move better in your swing or here's how we can help you, whatever your sport is. You know, how, how can what we do here make you a better athlete? As soon as an athlete, you know, we are talking about today in our session, as soon as an athlete can see how it helps them on the field, they buy in. But until that happens, if you feel like, if you feel like you're working out with someone or doing something and, and you can't see how it's going to relate to the field, it's so hard to buy into that. But as soon as you can feel this is going to help me in my swing, this is going to help me in the outfield, this is going to help me you know, run the bases, all of a sudden you buy in. Well, that's good advice for me because you're constantly asking me why the hell are we doing this drill? And then I try to break it down right. in the three seconds mm-hmm. in which you're paying attention to my answer. Exactly. So, but point, point well made. Um, certainly. I think another piece to that is not just how do we get athletes to know that sports PT should be a part of that team, but how do we get the sports PT to let the strength coach know that we should be part of the team and how do we develop those relationships? That relationship, both Courtney Green, Tim Bishop, um, that I'm always working on developing is, is understanding here is what I do. This is the lane I'm going to stay in. Here's where you're going to work. Here's where we'll overlap. So let's make sure we talk and Mm -hmm. communicate appropriately. Um, and and that goes both for strength and for speed and agility. So I think that's like the other piece of getting that word out. Sports PT should be a part of that team. Yeah. I think it's, you know, I, I, and that's what Courtney did so well. And, and you two was, you know, you guys were able to put together a plan that was coinciding. That was, you know, we're going to, this is what we're doing in the weight training today. You know, here's what you guys should do and back and forth. And, you know, it's, it's such a tough conversation to have. I feel like in professional sports right now, because everybody, you know, wants to be the best of their job. And, um, you know, it's the same as athletes. Like you don't want to be told you have a flaw. Like you don't want to be told how to do your job or, you know, let's, so it's gotta be a companionship. It's gotta be something that, you know, you realize you're working together, not against each other. Um, because it, it really is, you know, when you, when you fire together and you do everything together and, and you start moving better in both areas, it, it's a no brainer to work together. I think it does take a dose of humility. No doubt. And I think that's really hard to find, especially mm-hmm. at those upper levels, mm-hmm. uh, in the big leagues. What is it like to train in the big leagues? Break it down for me in season, out of season. So out of season is, is when you you just go after it. You go after your flaws. You go after, you know, getting faster, bigger, stronger, everything, whatever, you know, your, your off season plan is. And, you know, that's when I like to do my heaviest lifting, um, my biggest overloads, all that stuff. And, and then in season is about maintaining. It's about not losing all that work you did in the off season. Um, how do you do that? You got to be willing to put in the work. You know, I, I felt, I found a couple years, um, you know, I think that's the, the cool thing about baseball is you go through the minor leagues before you get to the big leagues, right? So not only is it minor leagues, you know, learning how to play baseball at a professional level, it's learning how to be a professional athlete. You know, it's learning how to, you play 162 games in minor leagues, it's 140 games. It's, it's about knowing your body, knowing week to week basis, when to get in the work, when to take a day off, when, you know, how are you going to become, how are you going to stay a good athlete while also performing on the field? And, you know, it takes three years to figure it out. Okay, my body's feeling really good today. I'm going to get a good lift in for this week. Like, I'm going to do a good day of squats. I'm going to do a good upper body lift. And to keep it going so that the days that you're not feeling great, hey, you know, I'm going to do a med ball series just to get loose. I'm going to do, you know, bands to, to you know, loosen my hamstrings or whatever, to whatever stretch you need that day. Um, because that's what it's all about. It's at the end of the day when – you play 162 games. It's about being able to perform at hundred percent of whatever you have that day. And you need to be able to be strong enough throughout the season so that your hundred percent is as close to hundred percent as possible. And whether it's lifting heavy that day, lifting light, whatever you have to do, but you need to be able to, to make it through till October. They have mandatory lifts in season. Um, we have a mandatory amount of lifts per week. Okay. So, Break it all the way down for me. What does a week look like in the big leagues from a strength and conditioning perspective? So you're looking at um, two total bodies a week. So it's kind of up to you on how you want to break it down. Do you want to do upper body one Monday, lower body Tuesday, do a kind of 
a core circuit or something on Wednesday to get loose. And then Thursday, Friday, um, you know, go back to your, to your lower upper, which is kind of like an off season lift. Or, you know, if it's, if it's late August and you're beat up and you just want to do a total body lift on Monday, take Tuesday off to, you know, band stretch, whatever. Um, and then do another full body on Thursday to break it up. So, you, so it's like two big lifts a week, um, instead of the four. And it's up to the player to make these decisions. It's up to the player because at that point, as I said, you have the whole minor leagues to go through that. You know what you need. You you know what you need to do to perform on the field. And that's the, the end goal. And you need to be in charge of your own career at that point. You know, it's it's not up to it's up to the strength coaches to be there to push you, to give you everything you need, but they can't rely they they can't teach you how to be a professional. When you're in that lift, you have to do two full bodies. That's the only requirement, right? No cardio requirement, anything like that. You have to do somewhat out on the field and stuff and, and you know, plyos and, and your med ball stuff as well. Mixed That's mandated? In. It's Yeah, it's all mixed in okay. throughout the week. Okay. Is a coach sitting there saying, here's your weight, here's your reps, you're doing these, and they're right next to you watching you do it? No, because for us, we have two two strength guys for, you know, 26 guys. So, you know, at one time, there might be six guys getting a lift in. Um, and there's we one have, coach. We have one coach two, in there. two coaches in there, two strength coaches. Six guys there. lifting, two coaches yeah. in there. I mean, you could have... 10 or 11 at one point in there. Okay. Lift is on the board. Here are the moves we're doing. on the board, or we have an app as well, and you can plug in your weights as soon as you do it on the app. Um, you can write it down. You can tell them what you do, all that stuff. But um, it's up to you. It's up to you. Okay. Um, any technology being used in those lifts? So force plates, tendos, are they measuring anything at any point? Force plates, we're always measuring force plates, um, doing jumps, seeing how our legs are doing throughout the season. Are they getting stronger? Are they getting weaker? How's your doing Nordic hamstrings all the time. Um, I think in baseball, you see a lot of hamstring problems. Um, so you want to, we, we measure those, you know, we probably do Nordics at least once a week on, on a, with the measurements, with the measurements mm -hmm. um, because they want to see, you know, that's where PTs and, you know, that's part of the PTs and the weight, the strength coaches working together, you know, are they getting weaker? Are we, do we need to work on this? Is there stuff that we need to change throughout the season? Um, and you know, they get those numbers in spring training as well when you're coming in technically at your peak, you know? Um, so that's all stuff that's, that's done throughout the, the year. Um, you see them putting you on the plates, you test, and because of the way you test, they adjust your lift. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. And who's running the plates? The strength, strength coach. Strength. Where's PT's involvement? That all those numbers get run through them. Okay. So they, they, they talk back and forth to those numbers. Okay. Any, I would call those screenings, right? You put them on the force plate, they're getting measurements, and then we're figuring out where we're going. Anything else screening-wise? Screening-wise in spring training, we do all of our screening. So it's flexibility, it's, it's ankle stability, it's squatting down, how low can you get, you know, shoulder reaches, overhead reaches. It's all this stuff is done um, in the first single leg jumps, um, med ball throws, all this stuff is measured. Um, grip strength so that way you know and then halfway through the year they'll try to do another one um, and then at the end of the year they'll try to do another one as well so that not only shows are you doing your work but it also shows is their program working okay interesting um, in season right as you're going through your lifts and you're doing the, that force plate stuff how quickly does your lift change you you jump a certain amount on the plate how yeah. quickly are they changing the program so for me, I was having, um, I was having some trouble, trouble last year with my knee and, and left hamstring a little bit. And so, you know, we, we really toned it to, you know, single leg stuff, strengthening my single leg left and right instead of doing a lot of double leg stuff. So that stuff was pretty immediate. Um, you know, I was doing the Nord board one day and, you know, I was like 5% weaker on my left side just because of the pain I was having. And, um, so they stepped in immediately, you know, added single leg stuff changed the lifts, um, it took some of the strain off my knee and added some strength and exercises. Um, so that all happens pretty quick, which is nice to have those numbers there. Yeah. That's awesome. Is it different, anything different for pitchers that, you know, um, I think it's all pretty similar. You know, I think that they do some shoulder mobility and elbow stuff and all that, the strain, they do a lot of strain numbers. Um, so I, I can't speak too much into that because yeah. I'm not around them as much, but I do know that all that stuff flexibility of their elbow, flexibility of their shoulder, all that stuff is measured. It's being measured. Okay. And what about lifts? Are those broken up by certain positions? Or yes. No? For the most part. Um, and then pitchers, obviously, you know, starting pitchers are on a completely different schedule because they're on a five day schedule. So they pitch, 
you know, day, they, they have a day one, day two, day three, day four, day five. Um, so it's like lift, cardio, plyos, lift, whatever, um, for bullpens. And Sounds like you can speak to what the pitchers are doing. <laughs> I watch some of that stuff, okay. but, um, I don't watch all the testing. Um, but so they have a completely different thing that's tailored to them, you know, which is needs to happen because I can't be doing the same thing a starting pitcher's doing, whereas a starting pitcher can't be doing the same thing I'm doing because yeah. we're trying to achieve different things. And so you're playing outfield, you're listed, let's say, as an outfielder. Is that the same lift as a catcher? It's going to be a little bit more movement oriented. Um, there's going to be some more agility stuff in there um, because they're. It's probably going to be a little bit more legs because they're getting hammered with legs and stuff. Um, there's is going to be probably a little more stretching, mobility, um, but it's all. I'd say ninety percent of it is is the same. And then there's that ten percent where, you know, maybe I go do some agility, maybe they go do some bands for their hips or hip mobility stuff. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. That's great to hear that it's broken up like that. But they don't do outfield, infield, separate lifts, like group liftings. I've seen it through, throughout my career. I've seen where it's, you know, corners and then middle infielders will have different lifts. Like that's how we did it in college. Um, it was corner infielders and the middle infielders were different lifts. Corner outfielders, center fields, different lifts. Really? Um, so it's, it's all kind of, you know, how your, how your coach wants to do it. What's your ideal if you're going to design the White Sox strength and conditioning program? What does it look like? In terms of the lifts or in terms of a weekly? Yes. <laughs> um, you know, I think it's the way they have it set up, to be honest. I, I think that they, they offer everything, right? So they offer here's your upper, here's your lower, here's your total, whatever you want to do on that day. Um, here's your mobility if you need that. Here's your plyos if you need to do that today. And here's your med ball circuit. And, you know, I think it's at the point now in the big leagues where you have that trust with them, they have that trust with you that whatever you choose to do that day is what you need and you know what you need. And that's, I think that's part of being a big leaguer. You know, I don't think you can do that in high A or low A or even double A. Um, that is so different than the NFL. So NFL at least most of the organizations that I'm familiar with, here's your lift. Yeah. You're, you're doing this lift. Yeah. I'm going to stand here and I'm going to watch you do that lift um, because that's what the strength coach says. That's the NFL, right? That's their elite. It sounds very different. Well, because for the NFL, every week you're gaming up for one game and you know how to gear up for that one game. I would think the player knows just as well as the big leaguer knows. Sure. But in the NFL, the strength coach knows. Right. And, you know, I think that's the difference between the NFL and the, the MLB. Um, you know, it's, it's, you know, we're getting ready for our Sunday game. You know, it's proven that Monday, Tuesday, these are our lifts, and that's been proven to work the best. And, um, you know, I'm sure in the NFL, you know, I can't speak to it, but I'm sure that they have some things tailored to them as well where it's, hey, you know, you, Sunday was a tough one for you. You're banged up here. We're going to change this a little bit. Um, you know, I mean, we're still told what to do, and, urged one way or another but we have that open communication where it's like hey you want us to do an upper today okay you know i'm gonna do an upper but let's go light today let's do bands let's do instead of heavy dumbbells let's go light and let's do a lot of mobility with the shoulders or something like that um but it's just such a different game playing 162 games in 180 days where you got to have that open line of communication there's, there's also you have you have two strength coaches for 26 guys now mm -hmm. right um, they're looking, they, they probably have more than that. Like their ratio is actually better, um, in the NFL. Um, yeah. so I, I'm just, I'm surprised and impressed that at least with the white Sox that they, they give you that carte blanche. That's awesome. Uh, I think that makes a lot of sense to me. What's your opinion on wake forest and the way they broke it up with corners and middle doing different stuff mm -hmm. versus it doesn't sound like that happens in Chicago. Um, at least from a programming standpoint, what do you prefer? You know, I think, I think you kind of learn through college what works for you. So I was always a little jealous um, seeing the middle, the middle guys working on some more agility stuff, jumping stuff to make them better athletes and stay better because they that's where your athletes are, right? So, you know, I was always a little jealous of that um, because I knew that it could really help me. Um, so I like to add that stuff in now, but. You know, I see where it makes sense in college, especially when you have, you know, one strength coach who 
who can't be in control of getting everybody to do everything. So, hey, I'm going to put this one program together for these guys and, and everybody, you know, is on the same page. And that way, you know, it definitely makes his job a little easier. Um, whereas for us, it's it can be more individualized. Um, so we can get in, you know, we already have our individual programs too in, in Chicago, which is nice. Whereas in college, it's kind of, you know, here's your position. Here's what we want you to do. Here's our ideal spot for each position whereas in chicago it's hey here's your spring tra- training movements you know we're going to add this to your thing and make it individualized um and so that's already in your plan for the season you know so i, I see both sides of it it's it's kind of a it's it's the way i think college has to work yeah that that makes a lot of sense when you look at the way they do it in the bigs that makes a lot of sense to me for what i do for a living mm-hmm. it, no one knows their body better than the patient or than the athlete, especially at that level. Sure. Right. So I think it's super worthwhile to like take that lesson and apply it to a whole bunch of other things. Us in the outpatient setting, it's awesome to work with Gavin Sheets that who knows how his body moves and knows what he wants to do with his swing. But you know, the, the high school lacrosse player, he might not know what ideal movement is, but he knows what feels right. And so, making that a piece of the pie is something I think that we can learn sure. as clinicians um, from from the big leagues, for sure. How's it different in the minor leagues? They're telling you exactly what to do and when? Yeah, you know, it's 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 not as much of a of a communication. And mm-hmm. I and I think that's how it should be. You know, I don't have any I don't have any problem with the way it's run in the minor leagues. There's still still an open communication, but there's not as much leeway. Um, you know, it's pretty set in stone. This is what we're gonna do, this is how we're gonna do it and you know, it's the nice thing that the White Sox do is from the top down, we're on the same program. So if a guy gets called up from single A to double A, double A to triple A, triple A to the big leagues, we're on the same lift. We're on the same program. We're on the same endurance phase, power phase, every strength phase. So that's really nice what they do so that each level, everybody's on the same page. Um, but I think it's it's the way you have to do the minor leagues. You know, things need to be set in stone a little bit more until, you know, you gain that trust, you gain that respect throughout the organization. Um it's how it was in college. You know, freshman year, you come in, you have to prove yourself, sophomore year, junior year, and then you, you have a better relationship with the coach and he knows how you work. When I was working with uh, Team Israel at the Olympics, there were some major leaguers on the team, some minor leaguers. I was talking to some of the minor leaguers, talking about like some of the crazy things that they saw on the road as it pertained to strength and conditioning. And so one of them said their squad would travel with one kettlebell, and they would put one kettlebell in front of the dugout and like the whole team would share a kettlebell yeah. in an effort. What's the craziest thing you saw in, in the minors? I mean, I've done some, I, I've done some hotel, hotel weight room, full team lifts. I've done some concourse, you know, next to the popcorn stand, you know, kettlebell bands, lifts. Um, you know, more than one kettlebell? Yeah, we had a couple more Spoiler, than one. Yeah, yeah. but uh, no, you see some. You know, in minor league baseball, you see some crazy stuff. And What's the craziest thing you ate before a game in the minor leagues? So my first year, um, I went to low A for my first half season right out of the draft. And at Wake, we had just gotten a brand new facility, like $12, 15000000 million facility. We got a nutritionist. We're getting fed well before every game. I mean, we're we're doing it like like the big leagues. And, you know, I'm I get drafted and... I go to Kannapolis, North Carolina, and I'm like, okay, this is pro baseball. Let's see what this is all about. And I've heard stories from my dad, and I'm thinking, okay, you know, it's 2017 now. We're we're not in the 1980s anymore, and uh, we have a doubleheader. And in between, after the first game, in between doubleheaders, we get served hot dogs and uh, uh, ice cream. <laughs> it's not very kosher. <laughs> <laughs> it's the I can never. I always remember sit out there. In the tub, the chocolate, vanilla, strawberry one. and Oh, you're not in a tub. It's in a tub. Yeah, the ice cream okay. is in the tub. I'm, just, on I'm the, picturing you in a tub <laughs> eating a hot dog and ice cream. Okay. No, so are the listeners That's Babe, Ruth, that's yeah. Babe Ruth type stuff. Um, but yeah, it's sitting right there on the table. And then you got like, you look at the snacks and it's like, you know, cheese puffs. And, you know, you got a couple things of fruit that are, you know, the flies are flying around and everything. But how do you do in the second game? Not great. I wasn't feeling too good. It was a little warm for that that, that hot dog and ice cream. But so gross. Um, you know that's what that's what you learn throughout your time is you know how do you make it work? How do you be an athlete? How do you be the best you can be um, 
you know, with what you're provided and, you know, how are you going to do extra? Because if you rely on just what you have, you're not going to make it. You're not going to make it. Um, how do we, how is the training room viewed in the major leagues? Um, for young guys, you don't want to be seen in there. Um, because why? Spell that all the way out. Just because you, you, you're young, you know, you, the, it's supposed to be the spot for the vets to work. Um, and so for us, it's, you know, I don't want to be in there unless I'm told. I don't want to be in there unless I have to be in there. Um, and that's just the way it's perceived, and that's that's the way I treat it. Um, you know, obviously when I'm told to be in there or told to get treatment or, you know, whatever it might be, I, I go in there and, and do it. But, um, you know, I don't, I don't want to be seen in there. I, I like to go in the weight room and do stuff in there and, you know, have them tell me whatever I need to, to work on in there, but I don't, I don't want to be seen in the, the for fear room. of the trainers, for fear of management, for fear of the vets. Um, just the way it's perceived. I, I just, yeah, just the vets and, um, you know, obviously just playing my second year coming in my third year, it's, it's a little bit different now. Um, and, and I, it's not nearly what it used to be. You know, I've heard stories of when it was way worse. And with the White Sox, it's it's not bad at all. But I just I just know growing up around baseball and how it's all perceived. And so I, I try to stay away from it as much as possible. But, you know, there's also comes a point where, you know, last year I found it as well. When when you really need something, you, you have to go in there and get it done. And so, you know, you got to fight the, the perception or whatever and, and take care of what's in your best interest. And so, you know, you never hold something back to lead to a greater injury. Um, that's when it just becomes silly. So, you know, when, when I do need something, when I am feeling something, I, I will go in there now. And, um, that's something I've gotten better at. Does, does anyone mandate recovery? It's, it's highly recommended, uh, and emphasized in what ways, you know, coming around and giving you supplements, giving you stuff to, to get you to recover and be ready to go the next day, you know, coming around on the planes, strength coaches coming around, handing you stuff to, you know, you know, Juven and, and stuff to electrolytes and stuff to rejuvenate you to go get ready to go the next day. Um, but nothing is, you know, as I said before, nothing's mandated because you're a professional athlete. You yeah. should know what you need to do, what you don't need to do, but everything is provided and everything, you know, if you need to do a cold tub, hot tub, needling, um, I can't think the game ready is on your legs, whatever you need. They've it, got it. They've got it. And minor leagues. They don't have any as, of that. Not as much. Um, they have some of it and they can get it for you, but not as much, but you know, it's silly if you're in the big leagues and you're not taking advantage of everything just because of perception. Yeah. And, and when do you stop being the young guy? Like you think you're there where it's like, you're comfortable to walk in and get what you need. Um, you know, I think it's, I think it's none of your teammates are listening. <laughs> I, think, I think it's the same thing as it is with, with your strength coach, right? You, you gain that respect, you gain that trust, you gain just by the way you go about your day. Like, you know, I feel like I've, I've worked hard enough. I've done the right way that when I'm in there, people know it's not for show. It's not just to get a massage. It's not, it's because you know, that's what I need on that day. And, you know, I've been working hard on the field. I've been working hard in the training room and this is what I need to, to be ready to go. And you know, I don't think there's a certain amount of time that it takes before you can feel that way. Um, but I just think it's something that when you come in and you work hard and you do things the right way that, you know, you don't bat an eye when you walk into the training room. Yeah. What do you wish you would have known in the minors that you now know? I wish um, I wish I would have changed my off season a little bit. You know, I wish I wouldn't have waited till COVID as much. Um, because I always felt that, you know, I was, I was a one guy workout. Like I, you know, I worked with one person and one person only. And, you know, I tried to do everything with that. Whereas now, like, so then I was, you know, an hour and a half, I tried to do my outfield work, my agility, my training, my, my mobility, my weight training all in one session. And now I'm doing an hour of strength training, an hour of mobility and PT with you. And then an hour of outfield agility all that stuff with three different people you know it, it's it's a team it's maximizing you know your training you know your movements and and not rushing it and combining it all into one that way each thing that you're working on strength you get the most out of your strength you know mobility and 
and swing thoughts and rotation core, all that stuff, you're getting the most out of that. And then speed training, agility and outfield work, you're getting the most out of that. You know, I was trying to do that all in an hour and a half. And, you know, I wish that I knew then that, you know, put together a team, you know, it's the off season. Your, your one job in the off season is to be the best baseball player you can be and get yourself ready. I mean, that, that's good advice to people in my field. Like we talked about how it's good advice to be humble and to kind of stay in your lane. It's also imperative to build the relationships and network to, to sure. work with those other guys, sure. right? So that your patient or your, your athlete is getting the absolute best. There's also, I wish sports PTs did more of what Courtney Green is giving you more of what Tim Bishop is giving you. Like if you're a sports PT listening to this, it's important to know how to rehab the ACL. No question. It's important to know how a baseball player moves. Ideally. It's also important to understand the principles of how to teach speed, how to teach change of direction, how to teach loading. I mean, all that crap shows up in our rehab programs. Our profession becomes so limited, unfortunately when we just live in the old school world that right. you envision. Right. Um, I, I think that was, that was a big problem. That was, that was, and I get so mad at some graduate schools because they just don't even mention it. They can't teach you everything, right. but they don't even, they don't even freaking mention it. Um, what have you changed your mind about in the last two years? Cause you are a stubborn <laughs> bastard and you don't like changing your mind about things, but I've seen you come around on a few things. Yeah. What have you changed your mind on? Uh, Doesn't even have to be sports related. I've changed my mind on a couple of things. So I was, I'm a very old school, just that's the way I was brought up. You know, my dad was old school. He obviously had a successful career being old school, swinging old school, all that stuff. Um, but I've started to allow the new age and data and analytics. And um, I even hate using that word. I can't believe you just said that word. I know, but just cause it's a big word. I, for I you. just think that, I think that the game has come so far in terms of training, in terms of teaching guys how to move, in terms of teaching guys, you know, the best, the optimal swing, um, the moves you have to make. And I, I think it's silly at this point to to continue to, to look away from it because guys at the highest level, at the highest point, you know, Arenado, Goldschmidt are having the best seasons they've ever had because of introducing these things. Um, so I'm much more open to it now. You know, I, I, lo- I like looking at the, the data. I like looking at the analytics. I like making changes to go along with that, to get my numbers where I think they need to be. Um, but I do think there's, you know, it's not black and white. It's not no data versus data. It's, you know, there's a, there's a middle point where you need to be, you know, you can't be too much on the data. You can't be too much old school. I think you need to combine the two. And, and that's kind of where I'm trying to get to right now, where I can combine the two and, you know, make myself the best, best athlete possible. Um, but it's, it's in many ways, you know, it's the swing, it's, it's working with you. It's changing some data in terms of, you know, hamstring strength and, and jump strength and, and all that stuff, all the numbers that we're, we have now. Um, and so that's what I've become more open-minded to slowly, but surely. Really slowly, (laughs) maybe not so surely, but I like the way you put it that you keep some of that old school in you because if you label yourself as, hey, I am a blank guy, mm-hmm. you just get married to that label yeah. and it's really hard to turn away. I am a long triangle guy. Um, I am a spin rate guy, stuff like that. Yeah. It could be cer- some of those things down the road. Hey, that's not best for me or it doesn't carry over for me um, or in large swaths of data. So I think that's a really good way to keep yourself kind of grounded. By the way, same thing in my profession. Like there are people that are just manual guys. Like they just do hands-on. Well, there's a ton of data that flies in the face of, it's not all about manual therapy and it can't be all about manual therapy. And we have to be really careful of marrying ourselves to, to kind of one mode, whether it be big leagues or being in the sports PT world. Um, I love hearing that you're becoming open-minded though. That yeah, is, I, mean, I just, I think there's so much available now, um, you know, to make you a better player. I mean, I, I can go see, you know, the flaws I had in my swing and from last year and you know how, you know, I have to dive into that new age thought of swinging and, and not fully, but to merge the two, to become the best player I can be, the best hitter I can be. And, um, you know, I think if you're, on one side or the other too far, you know, you're not getting the optimal of both. Cause there's, 
there's no right or wrong side. You know, guys who are doing old school had a lot of success. There's some guys with the new school that have had a lot of success. Um, you know, there's moves that both guys on each side make that are the same. So it's how can I, you know, adjust my swing so that I'm doing this optimal move that, you know, old school guys were making and new school guys make. Like it's it's not like there's there's not a new swing in baseball. You know, it's the same swing. It's Ted Williams has the same swing. It's the same swing thought now as some of the guys nowadays. And it's it's what you know. I think the big, biggest way to teach thing is you know find out what works for the hitter or the player, or the athlete. You know, because telling one guy think about your hands and telling one guy think about your legs can create the same swing. So it's what does that guy need to think? Is he a new school? Is he an old school? How does how does he think about moving in his mind? Because at the end of the day, they both can result in the same exact swing. Yeah, and, and I think it's always looking for what you said. What What's the carryover? What is correlated to success on the field? And I like to do that with our strength and conditioning or our, our rehab sessions or our movement enhancement sessions, which is what do I know is going to make you to the best of my understanding better at doing X, right? So if you tell me I want to get my hands here, how do I develop an exercise or a drill that's going to perfect that for you or make it easier for you or make you more powerful in those positions? We know there's some really good data coming out. Like we know that hide and jumps, like your ability to produce force laterally correlates really nicely to how hard you can throw a baseball. Well, mm -hmm. that better show up in my pitcher's strength and conditioning yeah. stuff. Um, we also know that grip strength doesn't necessarily correlate to velocity or by the way, spin rate. Mm -hmm. That's going to be way further down on my focus. To, to bring it back to one of the things you were talking about comparing old school to new school, I had a conversation with Tippy Martinez, yeah. um, and he was going crazy. So he was a middle reliever slash closer um, for the Orioles and the Yankees and the Twins for like six minutes. Um, and he was talking to me about the spin rate thing, and he's like, you know, Yanni um, – spin rate we didn't measure spin rate i was getting guys out without measuring spin rate I'm like yes that's true tip yeah but how hard were you throwing he's like ah probably 90 i'm like i bet you your spin rate was insane yeah you just didn't know it. it's not new it's yeah it's not new stuff yeah. it's just we have data for it now yeah like that's why i say you know the old school guys it's not you shouldn't be against old school guys because they were doing stuff that we're doing now. We just have numbers for it and we can call it certain things, spin rate guys, sinker guys, horizontal movement guys, yeah. vertical inverted stuff. It, it's none of this is new. Like, you know, Nolan Ryan didn't just throw hard. I'm sure he had vertical ride and all this stuff that, you know, Garrett Cole has nowadays and, and these guys have nowadays. It just couldn't be modified. Then. Yeah. yeah. And, and so that's why this old school, new school, just banging of the heads is, is silly because guys did, you can't tell me that Barry Bonds didn't have stuff in the new school swing nowadays and the new, new era of thought. Yeah. Like, of course he did. He, he had a perfect swing almost like he had what everybody is trying to achieve now, whether it was thinking and he thought the old school, he thought chop straight down and hit the ball off the home plate. Now new era, new age guys aren't thinking that, but they're trying to get Barry Bonds a swing. So how are you, how can you say that? Oh, you can't think the old school way, but you got to think the new school way. But at the same time, I want you to hit like Barry Bonds, who thought about chopping the ball off the home plate. And that's why it's like, just because they didn't have the data then doesn't mean that they didn't have the ability to do things we can do now. For sure, and so much of it I feel like was like folklore then because you couldn't measure things. Right. So, uh, man, I like I would love to put blast motion sen sensor on a Barry Bonds bat. <laughs> Like it'd be perfect. It'd be it exactly be what perfect. everybody's trying to achieve. And, yeah. and it works the same way. You know, old school guys, like talking to my dad, old school guys, they can't stand the new era, new age thought. Well, it, everybody's trying to achieve the same thing. So it doesn't really matter what you're trying to think. Do you think your dad's coming around on any of it? <sighs> any of it? Maybe, may, maybe some. Um, you know, I think that he sees, he sees where the game's improving. Um, you know, some things are just are never going to change. You know, telling a guy that, telling him that you you should strike out more to hit more home runs, that's never going to fly. You know, telling guys that batting average doesn't matter, I don't think you're going to convince a lot of old school guys on that. Does batting average matter? <laughs> um, I just think look at your stats real quick. I think OPS matters. Oh, okay. Um, I, I think that's the, 
do I think a, a batting average is a good, you know, I think, I think guys that can hit for average are still meant to be in this game and still a big part of this game. Um, you know, it goes back to the training, you know, corners, middles. I, I think everybody plays a piece in, in a batting lineup. Um, but I do think that, you know, OPS now is, is the gold standard measurement of as a hitter. You know, how's your OPS? How's, are you slugging? Are you getting on base? Guys that have a high batting average usually are doing one of those two things really well. Um, so I, while batting average, while I can see how it's not as high of a thought now as for a hitter, um, I do think that to have a high batting average, you have to be doing something really well. You have to, you're probably going to have a high OPS as well. Um, you know, Aaron Judge hit 60 some home runs this year. He's, his OPS was through the roof and he hit above 300. Usually those things are going to go pretty hand in hand. Um, you know, I'm not a huge strike. I don't like to, I, I can't get behind the whole strikeout or home run thing. Um, just to get your slugging up, you know, that, I can't get behind that. Um, because I do think there's an art to having a high batting average. You know, you can't tell me that you don't want Tony Gwynn on your team. Um, because he didn't hit too many home runs. Like, okay. You know, he's getting on base a ton. He's not striking out. He's making hard outs. He's a pitcher's nightmare. He's getting on, he's stealing bases. Like that stuff all needs to be in the game. Yeah. That that's early Tony Gwynn stealing yeah. bases. Yeah. Not, not late Tony Gwynn. <laughs> yeah. Um, stealing bases. What do you wish sports PTs knew about major league baseball players? Um, you know, I think you and I have a really good relationship because you're very passionate about baseball. You're very passionate about what we do. You know, understand what we do. You understand how we move. You understand what our season's like. I was an elite baseball player. That's why. Right. Okay. Something along those lines. Yeah. Um, I, I just think that when PTs understand your sport and have a passion about the sport that you're playing, not just about the medicine side of it or the recovery side of it. Um, you know, I think that's one thing that you guys do really well at True Sports is you guys are, everyone at PT guys are big sports fans, you know, have a passion for sports, not just for training athletes and recovering athletes. Um, because for you and I, like, you have as much interest talking baseball swing as you do telling me my next exercise. And when I see that passion, it, it makes it easy for me to buy into what you're saying because I know that you understand what I'm trying to achieve. You know, I can show you hitting video and we can go right into a medicine ball exercise. And, you know, that's what, that's what draws me in. You know, if it was just about going in and doing exercises, I don't think I could buy into it as much because, you know, one, we're not passionate about the same things. We're not, you know, I don't feel like we're working towards the same goal. Mm -hmm. You know, while I think you're, you know, if we're doing a core exercise, I think we're strictly doing a core exercise to make my core stronger. Whereas if I'm doing a core exercise with you, I'm thinking, you know, this is a part of my swing that he wants me to enhance and, and make better and, and, you know, help my swing out. So I just think there has to be a passion for sports. Um, there, there's gotta be a, just a passion, whether, you know, it's for lacrosse or soccer or basketball and, and you want to stay in that sport or if it's for all of them and you want to work with all athletes. Like I just, there has to be a passion for that. Now, listen, I, I, I happen to be a baseball geek. Like I freaking love it. I'll yeah. talk to you about, uh, like different brands of sunflower seeds <laughs> for, for hours just because it makes me feel like I'm sitting in a real park watching a game. Um, the, the other stuff like rehabbing other sports, I find success in that or interest in that because, I'm competitive. Right. Like I feel like I'm a part of this team and like you and I are fighting like hell together. You're doing way more than me towards whatever goal, yeah. towards staying in the bigs, towards getting in the bigs. Like, you know, when I met you, you're in the minors mm -hmm. and it's like, how do we get you right. to the bigs? Um, I love that competition. That's awesome at that really high level. The, the other levels are like, how do we get you into college? How do we win yeah. your high school tournament? What, how do we get your ass back on the field? Whatever. I see it as competitive. So like if I'm talking to sports PTs that are out there listening and they're like, I'm not a baseball guy. I think you're going to win your athlete over by being a geek about helping them achieve their If you have the goals. same end goal yeah. and the same passion for that end goal, you don't have to be, you know, it's not necessarily being the same, you know, if you're not a baseball guy, but you have the same passion to get me to like you and I would talk about all the time. How are we going to get the big leagues? How are we going to, that's how we start every session. 
And if you have the same passion for that as the athlete, that's what you get to buy into. If it's not, the end goal should never be, I'm just here to get you healthy or I'm just here to make you move better. That's anybody. You can go to anybody for that. Like I want someone who, who's passionate about, I want you, I'm going to get you the big leagues. I'm going to get you hitting 30 home runs a year. This is how we're going to do it. All of a sudden I'm in, I'm bought in. Yeah. Just, just help the person in front of you achieve what it is they want. Not what I want, what you want. Um, It's about the athlete. It's about the patient. Give me some words of wisdom, and I've actually seen you impressively so glean words of wisdom from other pro athletes that are around you. Give me some words of wisdom that stick in your head from other professional athletes. Yeah, so I was fortunate enough to, you know, hang around some some really good athletes growing up. You know, my dad was roommates with Cal Ripken and still really good friends with him to this day. And I was struggling in April and May this year. Um, I'll never forget, he was fortunate enough to, to reach out to me. Um, we talked for about probably an hour. I, I ended up having to tell him, look, I, I got to get off the phone. We, we're about to take batting practice. This was when we were playing the Yankees. And, um, you know, he's telling me a point in the season where, you know, it was June and he was still hitting, you know, 210, 215. And by the end of the year, I think he finished up at like 280, 290, 300. And he said, you need to remember, he said, the player you are in April and May is not the player you are in September. And that, that stuck with me the whole time because, you know, I was really, really struggling. But there's a lot of at-bats left in a the season. There's a lot of months left in a season. And you can continue. If you, if you make the choice that day to change the player you are, to have a bounce back, whatever, you know, that's how you salvage a season. That's how you become a player that can handle a full 162 games. I mean, you see guys, it works both ways. You see guys that are hitting 200 through the first two months, finish up at 315 and then you see guys that are hitting 330 through the first two months and then they finish the season at 250 you know it works both ways the player you are in april and may is and the player you are in september you know the guy you are in september that's the final product that's that's the marathon runner and that really stuck with me because that's you know you, you always know that there's still so much time left there's still you know you can always get better you know it's never you're never as high as you think you are and you're never as low as you think you are um and so that was, you know, I've had a lot of pieces of advice of, you know, been around a lot of cool athletes and, and talked the game, but that was the one that really stuck out to me. That's awesome. You think it was more that wisdom or the goatee that you grew <laughs> that broke your I don't slump. know, but the goatee did save a season too. So, did it? Um, you know, it wasn't the best look for me, but nope. I, I went down uh, to AAA for about a week, maybe a little over a week and I was rocking the goatee. I had all the confidence back. I found my swing. Um, you had to have serious confidence with that goatee on your face. I did. I did. And I was coming up and I was like, all right, I'm going to shave it. And I'm going to shave it and go back to it. The, they're like, you can't shave it. What do you mean you're going to shave it? You know, whether or not it works or not, you, you, you've been raking with it, so you got to keep it. And so I let it ride. I let it ride. And then when I felt it ran its course, <laughs> it was gone. Thank God. And I was very happy to, to shave it right off. Yes. So so were your fans. So yeah. were your adoring fans. <laughs> Um, I saw you have a conversation. I heard you have a conversation with uh, Sam Cook, who's a Ravens punter for 16 years. Um, and I loved what he shared with you. You asked him, and I loved, I should say, how you went about asking him. Um, you walk over to Sam, and you're a big leaguer at this point. Um, and I remember you. the first thing you said to Sam, probably like, Mr. Cook, nice to meet you what would you say your secret is for being in the league for 16 years is what you asked him. So there are a few things that I love about this um, anecdote is you walking over and trying to get better by meeting someone who's done something. It's not your sport, but doing something for a long time at an elite level. So I love that you were like hungry to, to get that information. I loved what he shared with you, which was, do you remember what he shared with you? I'll tell you what he shared with you. He shared, um, the little things that pop up, deal with them before they're a big deal. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the things that I've seen from guys who do it for 16 years, sometimes in the big leagues, 20 years, is when stuff creeps up, whether it be they feel a little off, movement, a little bit of pain, or whatever, a little fatigue, you're dealing with it. doesn't mean yeah. you have to go all the way in on some massive like rehab process, but it's how do I change something to get better at it? Um, so I can stick around and Sam always a tinkerer with, with 
his interventions and just trying to stay on top of things. Yeah, and I remember he said, be open-minded too. Be open-minded to things. Be willing to try things. Be willing to incorporate new movements. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's that's a guy that's, you know, it's silly not to, I don't care what sport you play. If a, if a guy who's been in a profession at the highest level for 16 years, pro bowl or everything, I mean, there's a secret to it. There's a secret to everything that every guy, I'm sure a 16-year vet in the MLB would say the same thing. You know, and there's a secret to something that all those guys do that makes them so special. And it's one of my biggest pet peeves is, you know, I, I go and hit where I hit at, you know, there's high school guys, there's college guys, there's, you know, there's every level and there's just not enough talk. There's not enough communication. Guys, guys are so set in their ways of, you know, watching Instagram videos or watch but you have all the knowledge in the world around you, you know, talk, talk to guys, talk to, you know, I like to see high school guys talking to each other about what they're thinking. I like to see college guys talking. To, and then I like to see them go up to the pro guys and ask them because there's just so much information from each player. How does each guy think about, because as I said earlier, everybody wants to make the same move in their swing, but everybody thinks about it a different way. And what a high school guy could even say he thinks could click with me. There's just guys don't talk enough. Guys don't, guys don't relay information. They're, they're, they think it's like a flaw if they ask them or a weakness if they say, you know, what are you thinking? What are you doing? You know, how do you do this? And uh, it, it kills me. It kills me because, you know, there, there needs to be an open communication and, you know, you just got to want, everybody should want to know, you know, just that 1%. It's really awesome. That's, that's awesome. And that's great advice. I've been really impressed. Even like in this short time I've been doing this pod is, People at the top of their game, number one, they all have traits that are consistent. You're talking about world-class surgeons, world-class athletes, world-class PTs. They're all doing similar type stuff as it pertains to their field, whether it be the way they manage time, whether it be their dedication to the time they allot to getting better, just that they're going to go all in or be totally focused and actually put their you know, put their phone away and, and dig in and be present. I just see these themes kind of coming up over and over. The talking thing and the the grabbing information when you can. I mean, when I was at the Olympics, I saw Kins, Kinsler, Ian Kinsler, mm-hmm. Danny Valencia, both bona fide big leaguers. I mean, I could go on and on about Kinsler and Valencia. I think it was eight years in the bigs, nine yeah. years in the bigs, bunch of home runs. Um, them having conversations with the native-born Israelis. Yeah. Guys who are playing D2 ball. Sure. Um but playing for their country. And they're all talking the same thing because the D2 baller is just pulling information from Kinsler and Kinsler's loving giving it. That's awesome to see. Um, Remember Luis Gonzalez from the Diamondbacks? So we did a spring training. We did um, an Olympic prep camp in a training camp in Arizona. Luis Gonzalez is a legend there. Mm -hmm. He's just like wandering around the facility with his giant forearms. And he ends up, he knew our head trainer, um, and he comes into the training room and he's sitting in the corner, like next to the ice bath. And there's one of our native, uh, born Israelis is laying on the table and I'm working on the, on the guy's shoulder. Um, and Luis says, Hey, like, uh, you know, what's your name to the, to the kid and where are you from? Oh, you're, you're from. And what's it, what's it like in Israel? Like, what's it like where you live? Um, how is that different from, like, Arizona? What's the climate? I'm like, and the kid on the table has no idea who, right. he's, who he's talking to. Right. But Luis is fascinated to try to learn something about something he doesn't know and become better. That's something I keep seeing. Yeah. Elite guys trying to get better um, and trying to learn. I loved seeing you do that with Sam Cook because he's one of my favorite humans. Um, and it was just such an awesome exchange of knowledge. If you had one parting piece to share with the sports PTs across America, what would it be? Hmm. That's a loaded question. Um, you know, I just think recapping what we all talked about today, it's just, just have a passion, just have a passion for, the athlete share the same passion um, because, you know, I, I always had a, a, a bad perception of PTs. I always thought it was just, you know, I'm 
go there to rehab of injury, but you know, you guys can offer so much more to what we do and can be such a big part of, you know, making an athlete and who you want them to be and who they want to be. And, um, you know, just share the passion and, and be open and, um, you know, be assertive too. You know, if you see an athlete working at your facility and, you know, let them know that, Hey, I, I can help you. You know, I know you're not hurt, but you know, I can offer more than, than recovery. Um, because that's, that's how I met you and that's how, you know, our relationship started. And, um, and that's been a, a huge difference to, to what I can do, what I can accomplish now, you know, how I can move, how I can swing. And I would have never known that if, if it wasn't for a conversation that Courtney had and it wasn't a conversation that you and I had. Um, so it's just be passionate, be assertive and, um, you know, just, just help athletes be the best that they can be. I love it. That's all we're trying to do is help athletes be the best that they can be well summarized. What an easy conversation that was. Thanks for joining the pod, Gav. I cannot wait to have you on again. Next time we're going to talk about hunting. Oh, coffee. There we go. And politics. No, maybe leave that last one alone. Leave that alone. Okay. (laughs) Thanks for joining us at the true sports physical therapy podcast. Thanks to Gavin sheets for, for all of his wisdom and all of his knowledge. You can follow us at true sports PT on Instagram. Shoot us a DM. Let us know who you want to have on next. Let us know what I should have asked Gavin. Um, and always we're, we're looking to add to our team of sports physical therapists. So let us know if you want to join the squad. Thanks for listening guys.